Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen. Church, you may have a seat. All right, all right. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16 this morning, so you can go and turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 16. And what a good day it is to be together. Amen? It is good to be able to worship our resurrected Jesus. And He still reigns. This is what we talked about last week. He's still reigning and ruling. And what a good reminder it is that the tomb is still empty. And if that's the reality, which it is, then anything's possible. And that's what we're celebrating today. The anything is possible because of who Jesus is. And as we go to Mark 16, if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Jesus is Alive. I think you need to remember that. Jesus is alive. And this is the good news that we're celebrating. This is the good news we're going to continue to dig into together this morning. And listen, if you lived in Virginia any amount of time, you know one thing is true. The weather changes. This week went from 90 to 40 in a day. Welcome to Virginia. If you lived life for any amount of time, you know this, that people often change like the weather. It may are hurtful ways sometimes. And this is what Jesus experienced. This is what's so encouraging about what Scripture shows us over and over again, that Jesus does and is able to sympathize with us because he's experienced everything that we have and will experience. And so here Jesus, what we recognized last Sunday as Palm Sunday, was welcomed and celebrated by the crowd as the conquering king. They yelled, save us! And less than a week later on Friday, Good Friday, they crucified him as a criminal, saying, save yourself. And this is what we're looking at this week called Holy Week. On Friday that Jesus was crucified, he went through trial as a criminal and brought before Pontius Pilate, the ruler of the Roman nation at the time, and uh, there in that area, And caving to the crowd's craving, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified as a criminal. Specifically, flogged and crucified. That's what the Bible says, flogged. It's interesting that the Bible doesn't give any kind of a description of what flogging is, because the first century people would have known exactly the severity of what flogging meant. But I think for us, we, we don't have that context, and so we need to dig into what that one word means, because you can really just casually read over it very easily. And so a flogging means by punishment you would be whipped. Whipped with this leather whip, often at the end of it would have shards of metal or bone, and they would whip the criminal for the offense. And the Jewish law allowed up to 40 lashes, but they often only do 39 just in case they miscounted. They want to sin, you know, that'd be crazy. But the Romans had no regard for the Jewish law, so really don't, we don't know how many times Jesus was whipped. But we know he got flogged. And what we do know is that flogging was brutal. Brutal. Often revealing bone and organs from ripping the flesh as the barbs would dig in and be pulled away. And many people did not survive a flogging. But Jesus did. Jesus did survive it. And the soldiers would take him away to prepare him for a coming crucifixion. But they would have a little fun with him first. It's just interesting what God does, even with bad intentions, as these soldiers had. Matthew 27, 
tells us that these soldiers took him and then they stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. That's noteworthy. Full of imagery and the soldiers didn't even know what they were doing. See, scarlet in the Bible represents sin. Isaiah 1.18 says, The Lord says, though your sins are like scarlet, or are scarlet, they will be white as snow. And so here, the Roman guards are wrapping him in the scarlet robe, trying to mock him as, oh, you say you're a king? Well, show us, king. Let's wrap you in this robe. But really what we see is that robe Jesus was wearing was actually that sin representing our sin. Before he'd be robed in majesty and authority, Again, he would now robed in depravity or sinfulness, taking on the sin, taking on our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the soldiers wrapped him in this robe, unknowing what even they were doing. And then it says they put a crown of thorns on his head. The horns and thorns in the the Bible representing God's curse. And we see that all the way back in Genesis 3, when the first sin came in and God's curses then came from first sin. He says this in verse 17, he said to the man, this is God speaking to the man, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles. Galatians 3.13, which we've been going through this by faith series, says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the cross. And so by way of imagery, these soldiers didn't even know they were participating in. It shows us exactly what Jesus came to do, becoming our sin, bearing our curse and shame so we don't have to. So anyone who would believe and come to him by faith that somehow, some way, your blood on that cross counted for me would be saved, forgiven, renewed, made new in Christ Jesus. That's what he did. And we see following the flogging, Jesus was forced to carry his own cross to Calvary, where they would kill him by way of crucifixion. And I wonder there's time, because disciples were kind of following from a distance, watching what was happening. And as Jesus was carrying his cross, I wonder if Jesus' words finally sunk into them. When he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I wonder if finally they're like, ah, I get it. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Giving up everything. And then what the disciples did following Jesus' crucifixion, knowing this reality was upon them, they went and hid. It says they hid out of fear of the Jews. And then the Sabbath set in. So that was Friday, and then we have the silence of the Sabbath of Saturday. And it had to be deafening. Because here's the Sabbath set in, and Jesus was buried in a tomb that wasn't even his, and they could do nothing about it. They couldn't give him a proper burial, it just happened. And so they couldn't do a thing on the Sabbath, and so they had to do nothing. And they had to wait. What was interesting is something we need to remember, and we can easily skip over and breeze past if we're not careful. Is that God is still working even when he's not moving in ways you wish he would or within the time frame you think he should. He is still working. And they're experiencing this on the Sabbath. Why? Why would this happen? And here we are, can't do a thinking about it. 
It reminds us of Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understandings. And it comes down to these, these moments like this and the waiting and not understanding what God's doing and not making sense. Do we trust him or do we trust ourselves? And God's timing here is interesting because they had to wait. They couldn't do anything. And so I know many of us understand this, is that waiting is the hardest part. When you're needing something to happen, you're waiting, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. You're waiting and waiting, and can't get an answer, and you're waiting. And God seems silent, and you're waiting, and you're begging. In those moments, your faith is tested. It reveals who we're trusting in. Do we really trust in God's timing and plan more than our own? Which brings us to Mark chapter 16. Starting in verse 1, it says this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. And what we see here is flowing from their love and devotion to Jesus, these followers remained faithful the whole time. From the criminal's trial through the crucifixion on the hill, and through now his burial. A couple things I think are noteworthy to, to mention here is, number one, they did not expect Jesus to be alive. And we're going to touch on that a little more here in a second. They did not expect that. So they came full well thinking that they were going to give him a proper burial. But number two, I think is extremely noteworthy, is the mention of Mary Magdalene. And she's prominent in all four gospel accounts. I don't know if you know this, but she had some issues. Significant issues. And there's other rumors outside the Bible that may, what she may have done and what she may not have. But we know for sure that she was possessed by demons at one point. Seven of them, to be exact. Which would have meant she would have had a very rough life. She would have been outcasted by her own people. Totally in desperation and despair because of her physical condition associated with her demon possession. It would have been a rough life. But don't miss this. Jesus met her while she was in her mess. And at that moment, everything changed and Mary would no longer be the same when Jesus healed her from this demon possession. And now she would experience Jesus and she would devote her life to following him. And this is a reminder, I don't know what you've been through, but I do know this. That your past does not define you. And we see that over and over in Scripture. I don't know what you've been through, what you've done, but your past does not define you. Jesus does. And I'm convinced this changed everything for Mary. Because now she experienced Jesus and she was new because of Jesus. Her value is now in Jesus and it changed everything. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, a new has come. You're not who the person you used to be. Your past does not define you and didn't for Mary either. Jesus rescued Mary from her mask, and he can rescue you. And I think this is a temptation so many times that people want, like, hear this information about Jesus, but they, they see their lives, and they're like, I got to get everything cleaned up first. Like, I got this alcohol addiction I'm trying to shake. This drug mess I'm in. You name the sin that we're stuck in. Let me get that cleaned up first, and then I'll come to Jesus. And here's the point. You can never get clean enough. 
You can never get clean enough to come to Jesus or else his blood on the cross would be useless. He did it so you wouldn't have to go through the mess and the junk yourself because you can't. You can never be good enough. You can't. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is good news of the Good Friday because he bore our sin because we can't. He took the consequences so we wouldn't have to. This changed everything for Mary. I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe even though you're in some kind of mess and junk right now, you can still bring all the baggage and your background to Jesus, and right now he's still making people new. He's still forgiving. He's still raising dead people to life. He's still changing lives. Do you believe that? Mary did. Mary experienced it. And as I think it through Mary's experience, how it changed her, I think it through so many people that have experienced Jesus and some, some level start forgetting what Jesus did. Like, we just need to go back sometimes, those who have been changed by the experience in Jesus themselves. You go back to that and remember the goodness of God and reflect on that and rest in that, that you're a child of the risen Lord. And that changes everything. It leads us to verse 3. Because as they were going, they had this problem. It says they were saying to one another as they were walking, it says, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him, but go... Tell his disciples and, who does it say? That's noteworthy. And Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him just as he told you. This is interesting. So right here, as they walk, they have a problem. What was their problem? They were walking, they're like, oh, oh my goodness, we didn't think of one thing. What was that? A big old rock in the way, right? That they would not be able to move. And as I see this, I'm just reminded that God is in the details. He was then, he is now. It is amazing. God's in the details. God had already moved the rock of their worrying out of the way before they got there. Let that sink in for a minute. Because we worry all this time, and God's already moving and working. God was working while they were worrying. I'm wondering, what are you worrying about right now? This we talked about, God doesn't always show up in the ways we think he would or wish he would or the time frame we think he should, but sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. And sometimes he does even more than we can even think, ask, or imagine. This is what Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, he's able to do more than we even know. So sometimes our experiences jade us sometimes because we don't see God moving and working in ways we wish he would or time frames we think he should, but he can and he does, and sometimes much even more than we even know what to ask for. So do we trust in those times of worrying? Because worrying's real. Right? We have real struggles, real things, but do we trust them through it? And notice what the angel says here. And this angel, he says, you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He has risen just as he told you. This is interesting because this hits close to home. I mean, in my home. There's so many times I, I hear my wife 
but I'm not listening to my wife. And next thing you know, she's walking out the door one morning, where, where are you going? Well, don't, don't you remember, I, I told you, we got this appointment this morning. And she jogs my memory very graciously and kind like she is. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember you saying something. I'm convinced this is what the disciples did over and over again. Like, they were hearing Jesus, but they weren't listening to Jesus. So the angel says, go and tell the disciples. Which begs the question, why were the disciples not at the tomb? Why were it just the women there? What were the guys? It wasn't a memory malfunction. They had a belief that has been broken. It was a belief issue. I just wonder as we think through these things and we see these accounts and the disciples who should have known, yet their belief was broken. I wonder, have you ever been there? You ever been there to where your belief was just broken? The doubts start setting in. You know, there that, that you knew God could. You just didn't know if God would. Like, if we're honest, we've all been there at some point. Like, my faith is like, I know you can, just don't know if you will. Do we trust Him even in that? And there's a, just a true statement that faith does move your feet. And so we look at the disciples. If they really believed what Jesus said would happen, because he promised it over and over again that I will be betrayed, I will be crucified, but I will rise on the third day several times. If they believed it, they should have been there that morning. Immediately after sunrise, right? Sitting there in front of the rock. One, two, three, move that rock! Right? I mean, that's what belief looks like. Like, I am sure this thing's going to happen. I'm going to take steps to see it happen. But where were they? They weren't there. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe Jesus. And so the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. I want to rest there for a minute. Because this is a whole lot of encouragement found in the disciples, but especially Peter. It's not about you, but I tend to mess things up in my Christian walk. You all got it under control. Not so much up here. But Peter was my guy because he messed it up all the time. He was a mess. He was that guy. In Matthew 16, we see Jesus said to his disciples, he says from the, he began to point out to the disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. And Jesus, Peter then takes Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ, get over here, right? This will never happen. And Jesus turns to him. Says, get behind me, Satan. That'll do something for your ego. Jesus called you Satan. But this was this was Peter. Peter was the spontaneous, compulsive person, the, the do first, think later. Any others like that in here? Yeah, me too. That was Peter. Just I'm just gonna do it. He's known as the uh I've been heard him called the disciple with a foot-shaped mouth. I can resonate with that. Too many times than I like to remember. But here Peter is. This guy keeps stumbling over himself. I remember the account when Jesus was walking on water, the disciples were in the boat, and the first they thought he was a ghost. And I just picture Jesus like, oh my goodness, no. No, it's, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, 
command me to get out of the boat and walk to you. And Jesus says, come on, big boy. Loose paraphrase. So Peter gets out and actually starts walking on water. This is amazing. For a minute. And he starts drowning for a minute. And then reaches up to Jesus, Lord, help me. And he pulls him out, right? But this is Peter. Like, I'm just all in all the time. On the week that Jesus would be betrayed, he gathers his disciples moments before he was betrayed. It makes, it makes me wonder, like, if you knew this was your last day, how would you spend it? Like, think through the things that you would do. Maybe more family time. Maybe go do something that you always want to do, bungee jump, skydive, whatever you want to do. It's amazing what you see Jesus did. He washed disciples' feet. I don't think that would be on my list, if I'm honest. He spent time washing their feet. But here Peter says, as he goes to wash Peter's feet, no, you will never wash my feet. Peter says, if I don't wash your feet, you have, your feet, you have no part in me. Then Peter, being who Peter is, he says, all right, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands, my head, like I'm all in. You just picture Jesus like, no, you're not getting it. Like, just stop. Like, wash all of me then. This is Peter. And Jesus was, in Matthew 26, preparing his disciples. Again, moments before Jesus would be arrested and betrayed for this betrayal. And he says to his disciples, you will fall away from me. And Peter says, I will never, Peter, I will never fall away from you. Never's a long time. Have you ever been there? Say never, and the next thing you know, well, that lasted long. I will never fall away from you. Even if everyone else does, right? Jesus says, truly I tell you, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says, even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And what happens next? Peter and his disciples were there when Jesus was handed over and the mob comes and starts arresting Jesus. And Peter's like, you know what, I'm going to show him. And I take out, takes out the sword and swings it and chops off a dude's ear, right? Which is funny to me because even in that, Peter's jacking it up. He didn't mean to chop off the ear. He was trying to kill that dude. He wasn't aiming for his ear. And Jesus like, put the sword away. So Jesus was arrested and Peter's following at a distance. Kind of this undercover Christian mentality, right? And as he's watching these things and he's around a charcoal fire, a girl comes up and says, are you one of Jesus' disciples? He says, I'm not. That people come up to him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? I am not. And then more people come up, you, you really are one of them since your accent gives you away. And says, Peter started to curse and swear, I don't know the man. At that moment, the rooster crowed. And he remembered Jesus' words. And it says he wept bitterly. This is Peter. That's so why I'm convinced. The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. And it emphasizes God's love, care, and compassion for his people, especially in this particular situation, Peter. Even in the darkest moments of despair and distress, even at Peter's devotion to Jesus had drifted to the point that he deserted Jesus, Jesus was reminding Peter, or would remind Peter, that Jesus didn't desert him. Jesus had not deserted him. And this is the, what we see over and over throughout Scripture. 
God's promises for his people that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus says, I will always be with you. This doesn't mean even when you're the good Christian, right? That do all the right religious activities. I go to church on Sunday morning sometimes, especially Easter. I'm there, right? I serve in way kids because that's what good Christians do, right? He's talking about even when you deny them, even when you fall short, even when you're stuck in the sin that I'm trying to conquer and I messed up again and I hate it, I'm with you still. Always. I will never. That's the words that God uses. That's a lot in a long time. So he says, go tell his disciples who are hurting, but make sure you tell Peter. Brings us to verse 9. It says, early on the first day of the week after he had risen, he, being Jesus, appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported those things who had, she had uh, reported those things to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet, even when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, what's it say? They did not believe. This is interesting. Yeah, I think we are more common with the disciples than we may want to admit. Well, I think what's really noteworthy here is that God chooses and continually uses the least and the unlikely for his glory. Case in point, the disciples and me and probably you. Right? If we're real, God uses us, but that's where he gets the most glory. But here specifically, he used these women, specifically Mary Magdalene. And it's noteworthy because in this first century, the witness of a woman would not have been considered credible. And yet, they're the first witnesses. Mary Magdalene specifically, the first witness. And so he chose these women as the witness of his resurrection, and specifically Mary Magdalene, a woman who had been, used to be an absolute train wreck. And yet, she was the first one to tell the disciples by God's designing. The disciples, despite all they experienced and witnessed while with Jesus, despite the promise that Jesus made regarding his resurrection, they did not believe. This begs the question, how many of us tend to stray into what I would call easy believism? That's a knock in a usually different way that, yes, it's by faith alone and grace alone, by Christ alone, but I'm talking about living it out. Easy believism, meaning that when things are not easy, our faith gets a little foggy and we forget God's promises. You ever been there? When things don't get easy, we start forgetting and doubting. Like Jesus promised an easy life. You know he didn't promise that, right? He promised the abundant full life because that fullness comes from knowing and experiencing him. No matter what you go through, you have peace that surpasses understanding because of who he is. And he's over all things, reigning through all things and in all things. And is for you and not against you. That is the full and abundant life. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be better. And I love Job because Job got this. Job in Job 2 says, Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? I guess what we come to sometimes, like things get bad, oh God, where are you? God is still God. Should we only accept the good things? And here Job has come from, he has lost everything besides his wife, and he probably wished he would, she would have got 
been taken away also. Read Job 2. I'm not saying wives are bad. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job got it. God's still over all things, even the good and the bad. It leads us to verse 14. It says, later he, being Jesus, appeared to the eleven disciples as they reclined at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. And this is just, I think, just noteworthy. And we need to remember this. And it's proven overall over in Scripture, I think, in our own lives, that God will call you to believe before you see. Every time you're looking for that next thing that God's calling you to do, He's going to call you to believe it before you see it. Even coming to faith, like there's enough evidence to bring you to say, yeah, there's a God, and I do trust in Jesus. But still, you have to believe before you start seeing and that's evidence the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I don't know how, but I do believe this. And so here they disbelieve, and Thomas wasn't there at this first appearing of Jesus to the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. And so they go tell Thomas, and Thomas says, listen, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. And to, to which I would have said, man, why are you got to make things weird? You ever got that friend in your group? Like, why are you making things weird? Putting your hands in the side? What are you talking about? But Jesus would show up to Thomas specifically a couple days later. He says, you want to get weird? Let's get weird. That's what he said. Loose, loose paraphrase. He says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. To which Thomas only had one response. My Lord and my God. Which Jesus says, because you have seen, you have believed. But then he says this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I'm wondering if you're struggling with some doubts because I just don't see enough. God's calling you to believe even when you don't see. Trust even when you don't know what he's doing. Our belief is in him. Our trust is in him not of ourselves or our circumstances, because he hasn't changed. And so are you wrestling with doubts this morning? I encourage you, start believing before you start seeing. And God shows up. He's faithful over and over again. I think you know this if you look back at the course of your history. Even those who have not been following Jesus, if you look back and see, man, those are some coincidences. I'd beg to differ. That's Christ showing up over and over in your life. Drawing you to himself. And we see the tenderness of Jesus. He would take a special moment again with Peter. Let's go back to that minute because I want you guys to see this. Because here, tell the disciples and Peter. And yet Jesus makes a special point to talk to Peter. One morning the disciples are out fishing. And they notice Jesus on the shore. Cooking up some fish breakfast. By a charcoal fire. And Peter sees him, and man, this, again, do first, think later. Jumps into the water and starts swimming, fully clothed, leaving the other disciples in the boat that he was fishing with to row in by themselves. You gotta, they got to be a little frustrated at some point, like seriously? But they get to him, and after they finish breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he asks him in, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I know, you know that I love you. He says, shepherd my sheep. Then he asks the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And I think at that moment, it all collided for Peter. The smell, the charcoal fire burning, the persistence of Jesus' questioning brought a remembrance of Peter's denying. And really bringing him back, he says, God's shown I, I still love you. I know you love me. I know you love me. I know you love me. The point I think we need to see here is that God sees your hurt. And he sees your heart. And he hears your cries for help. Because in the moments of Peter's distress and despair, and I just denied my Savior, God didn't deny him and was moving towards him. Psalm 145.18 tells us, The Lord is near all who call out to him. Psalm 34.18, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He saves those who are crushed in spirit because he himself was crushed for us. In the moments before Jesus would be crucified, he took his three disciples to go pray at the Garden of Gethsemane, also known as the place of crushing. And he prays this. Jesus says, Father, if it is possible, the moments before he'd be crucified, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This is cup is the cup of God's wrath, getting ready to pour it out on sin, the sin that Jesus would take on himself, yours, mine, past, present, and future, all sin on Jesus at that time. He says, if it is possible, take this cup from me. In other words, if there's any other way, this would seem like an awful waste of my blood. You know, if Oprah's right and all roads lead to heaven, if everyone is inherently good enough, if my good intentions are good enough, if you can just obey the Ten Commands, align your chakras, incarnate enough times, obey the five pillars, let that happen. But he says, yet not my will but yours. And this is what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that there was no other way. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way. Not a way. Not this plus Jesus. Jesus. When he's on the cross, his last words was, it is finished. This is what's good about Good Friday. It is finished. Meaning the debt has been paid in full. Your debt, my debt, has been paid. And at that moment of his death, it says the veil that was in the temple that separated God's people from God's presence was torn from top to bottom, showing that God did it, man could not. This 60-foot tall veil, about four inches thick, torn from top to bottom at that moment, because there's now no barrier between us and the living Lord. Because of what Jesus did. And that's available to everyone. No matter what you've been through. Your past doesn't define you. What you're going through now. It's available to anyone. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from God's wrath. Jesus took it so you don't have to because we can't. 
We can't bear the fullness of God's wrath, the separation from God for eternity. Jesus paid the price, paid in full. But it's up to us to receive that payment. And because of that, because of what Jesus did, John 1, 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the good news of the gospel. So as we reflect on the goodness of God's grace and what Jesus did for us, taking our place, we have a response to make. God's calling us to respond. And for some of us, that might just be remembering God's grace in our life in that moment we did place our faith fully in Him and have been brought from death to life and now walk in the newness of life because of Christ Jesus, enjoying God's presence. Maybe you need to respond by celebrating and thanking Him for what He did for you. Remembering our sin that separated us. Let God's presence and peace wash over you, knowing that He is still alive, that He's still ruling and reigning. He's still for you and will not forsake you. He's present with whatever you're going through. But maybe for others, you've gone through the religious routines, you've done all the right things, you've heard about Jesus. You've touched the Bible one time, but you don't know him. Like you don't have a lot of head knowledge, but you don't know him in your heart. Trust him. It comes to this. If you can't say, Lord, I trust you with everything, then you don't trust him with anything. Meaning you don't trust him at all. You're still trusting on yourself. And that's not a right standing. And you cannot stand before the Lord one day. So do you trust him with everything? Your life, your family, your finances, your future, do you trust him with everything? Because this is what saving faith looks like. And this changes everything, and this is what changed everything for Mary. Do you trust him? So I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your life in this moment. What we're going to do, I'm going to invite the band back up, and they're going to lead us in one more song. And maybe your response is going to be, after I pray, that you sing and you praise God because He is worthy because what He has done specifically in your life. Maybe your response is you just need to pray just sitting there by yourself. As others sing, you're worshiping through praying. Maybe God's dealing with you with some sin that you've been messing with. Maybe you see that you finally need the Lord and you say, I believe. I don't know how. I don't know everything, but I know that you paid the price for my sin. And by simply believing, I have life. Maybe that's your prayer as you sit there. Maybe you need to pray with someone else. Maybe you sinned against someone in this room you need to go pray with and make things right with. Maybe you just need to pray together just because it's good to be praying with one another. We'll have a prayer team on the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, answer questions about what this means following Jesus or what the next step is in this faith journey. Whatever it is, you need to respond. Because here's what I know. When we gather, God does an amazing work together. When we look to his word, God stirs in our heart through the Holy Spirit. Maybe for the first time, you're just thinking, man, I can see my, fa- my past does not define me. I've been carrying this baggage with me. And Jesus says, stop. That's not who you are anymore. Start walking in the newness of life that I've given you. I'm going to ask you to respond. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you to respond right where you are to what God's doing in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for who you are, what you did 
on our behalf. Lord, that you stepped out of heaven, took our place, paid for our sin, even before we asked for it, even before we wanted it, even before we knew we needed it, you died for our sin so that we could live with you. That we can be cleansed, coming from our sins as scarlet to being white as snow. Lord, I ask this that moment, this moment, that you continue to just work in our lives, continue to reveal your goodness and your grace. Help us to see you more clearly. Lord, if there's sin that we are missing, show that to us as the goodness of your grace because you desire for us to follow you and to leave those things behind that are destructive and destroying in our life. Lord, by your Spirit, I just ask that you remind us that we've been created new in you by faith and that we're no longer that person we used to be or those things that we used to do, that we're walking in you, Father. And you are the change agent in our life. Help us to follow you more closely. Give us strength over any of these things that we're dealing with, any of these things that are causing issues in our life, sin or circumstances. Give us strength to endure and to conquer these things that are not pleasing to you. Give us strength to endure these things that we're going through, that you are with us and that you guide us and you're working even while we're worrying and not seeing it. Remind us that you're with us. Lord, I just ask you to continue to move in this place, move in this moment. And help us leave here truly experiencing that you were in this place and leaving more changed than we ever have before, more faithful than we ever have before because of who you are and what you're doing. Lord, lead us in worship. We pray all this in the name that's above every other name. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.